where three women with names discuss movies that are about something other than a man. Paid in Puke is hosted by Amy Green, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. It's also a spoiler-filled free-for-all. You've been warned. It's our Series 5 openers! Wow. Series 5, baby! And I'm so excited to talk about Emerald Fennel's 2020 debut film, Promising Young Woman, starring Carrie Mulligan, Laverne Cox, Allison Brie, and Jennifer Coolidge. Whisper something in Good God almighty. You know, they put themselves in danger, girls like that. It was a perverted thing to say. You'd think you'd learn by that age, right? Please lay down. What are you doing? It's okay, you're safe. What are you doing? Hey, I said, what are you doing? Every week, I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, a nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. You okay? You are so pretty. I am a nice guy. Are you? One, two, three, four. I thought we had a connection. Okay. How old am I? What are my hobbies? What's my name? Sorry, maybe that one's too hard. Cassandra, we were in class together at Forest. You would have been a great doctor. What happened? I left under unusual circumstances. You remember what happened, right? Why I dropped out. I'm not the only one who didn't believe it. We get accusations like this all the time. Who needs brains? They never did a girl any good. I'm so sorry I didn't go with her. You gotta let it go. What are you gonna do? I don't know. Why do you guys have to ruin everything? We were kids. If I hear that one more time, I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. I was hoping you'd feel differently by now. It's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? I wanted to be a doctor my whole life. Lately, I've been feeling like I might want to get back into it. Promising Young Woman tells the story of Cassie, a med school dropout haunted by the loss of her childhood best friend, Nina who probably killed herself after getting raped at a party and losing her trial to her rapist. It's not funny. I just am so bad at synopses. Even when I wrote this out, I thought it was going to go better than this. Cassie's anger regarding the violence of that loss consumes her to the point that her entire life revolves around taking elaborate, nonviolent retaliation against the portion of the population she deems responsible, i.e. cis, straight, white dudes. So, okay. I wrote a review of this movie... 
and thought about it for days and days. And it took me a really long time to write this review because there's just so much there. And I finally settled on like a Batman motif because she basically is a superhero vigilante. Batman specifically because Batman's like nonviolent. He's known for nonviolence and teaching criminals lessons. And that's kind of what she's doing. Yeah, that is true. And I realized on this watch, and I will say, as we always say, this is a spoiler-filled podcast, and if you don't want to be spoiled on this movie, you should just stop what you're doing and watch it, because it's so fucking good, so you should definitely watch it, and we're going to talk about all kinds of details. But I decided this last time we were watching it that she really enjoys this. Like how Batman enjoys beating up bad guys and then being like, I'm too good to kill you. She really, really enjoys fucking with these guys. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. This is a hobby for her. She's lost the plot on why she's doing it. She really enjoys it. It's literally how she has fun. Yeah. Like that celebratory walk home in the beginning with the hot dog. She's like, I got the munchies. After getting super high off of fucking with rapists. She's a superhero with a tragic... Right. Tragic, tragic ending. Cat. Well, past, yes, past, past, past and future. But that's, past, present, and future. That's Batman's thing, too. because he has his traumatic past. Yeah, and he can never be a normal person. He's right. basically a ruined person because of it. That definitely makes sense. <laughs> I like that. She knows exactly what she's doing. She plans these things very... The Al Monroe going to the bachelor party. Oh, yeah, like, there was so much setup a, she had to do for that. a lot of planning. Yeah. And she... <laughs> Didn't even have to do that. She could have ruined Al's life without even going to that party. She had the video. Yeah. She was going to go all the way Mm -hmm. with her plan. Either way, she was going to level these guys. They were going to be ruined and go to jail and have justice. But, like, she knew she could die. She didn't even have to do that. She could have ruined their lives Not even having gone. But on the other hand, I see how she came to that conclusion because she wanted to make sure that they wouldn't get out of it unscathed if it doesn't work out because she's obviously had the past experience of them not being brought to justice, even with evidence and testimony. It's really important for her to get him to acknowledge what he did. He's handcuffed with that and he's still acting like, oh, you know, this was things getting out of hand or whatever. Look, I'll I'll give you anything, okay? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do anything. Anything. Oh, don't cry. Really, don't fucking cry. Tell me what you did. I didn't do anything wrong, though. Did you ever feel guilty, or did you just feel relieved that she'd gone? Yeah, I was affected by it, too, okay? I mean, it's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? That's what she wants from him, is to say, I did this terrible thing to her. It was not her fault. It was not, you know, she didn't do anything wrong. She wants him to admit that he hurt somebody and that Mm -hmm. he still thinks about it. To her, that is redemption, because that's what happens with the lawyer. We don't know what's going to happen if that guy was just going to fuck him up or what, but she was going to have something done very bad to his body as revenge. And then because he's like, no, this haunts me. I actually am super fucked up over it. And he remembers the girl's name and he remembers actively harming her and he feels like shit about it. And she wanted either that reaction or if she didn't get that reaction to carve her name on him. I could see how that's such poetic justice for her. And she explains the whole thing about why it is. It wasn't her name she heard when she was walking around. It was yours. Your name. All around her. All over her. All the time. And it just... Squeezed her out. So when I heard your name again, your filthy fucking name, I wonder, when was the last time anyone had said hers? 
or thought it even, apart from me. And it made me so sad because, Al, you should be the one with her name all over you. If you just fucking let her do that, I really, I know, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> it's one of I know I'm going to watch that movie over and over and every time. Yeah, maybe this is the time that the handcuff doesn't break. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they look like they're on there pretty good. Damn it. I know he really does look very trapped for a minute. Yeah. That scene with Alfred Molina, he was awesome as that lawyer who had this psychological breakdown realizing how horrible he's been. He's crying on her lap and saying, like, I'll do anything. I'm so sorry. She cries. She yeah. Crying. I thought that scene was really powerful. You gotta help me. I can't sleep. I can't sleep. I haven't slept in. I'll never forgive myself. I want you to know that. I'll never forgive myself for any of this. I forgive you. I'm so sorry. And she doesn't cry much. The only other time she cries is when she's watching the video. She, like, goes into these situations pretending to be blackout drunk, going to these guys' houses. And I got the feeling, like, that scene with the lawyer was a real surprise to her. Like, the, this person could actually be genuinely sorry for what they've done and wanting to make amends. And the other people she interacts with, she knows how they're going to respond. She She's not surprised. I felt like she was, like, expecting that from somebody. I feel like she was hopeful every time. I also feel like it's very true to the times. Don't you think there are some people that, over the last few years, looked back on things in the past, whether they were involved or not? I mean, like, wow, that was really fucked up. I can't believe we thought that wasn't. I feel like she has that expectation on some level with everybody. Now that there's been this, like, societal sea change about mm-hmm. this issue, have you maybe thought about this thing? I mean, I don't yeah. know that I would say she's expecting that, but I think that's what she's looking for from everybody. Yeah. She literally says that with Madison. She mm-hmm. says, I was really hoping you would say something different. You thought I was crying, well, I don't make the rules. Look, when you get that drunk, things happen. Don't get blackout drunk all the time and then expect people to be on your side when you have sex with someone you don't want to. That's a shame. I was hoping you'd feel differently by now. Yeah, I was also thinking with the McLovin character. Um, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> McLovin for life, Christmas plus. Yeah, he's McLovin for life. Sorry, bro. She's like, do you still want to fuck me? And he's like, no, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> That's I'm really here. funny. You want to fuck me still? Yeah, of course, this is who you are. It's so telling because they only want to fuck her when they think that she isn't consenting. Right, right. Like, oh, you're sober? What? Yeah, Yeah. that's a real boner killer. Exactly. (laughs) Right, like, especially that first scene with Adam Brody. What are you doing? What are you doing? And he's like, if you're safe, you know. And then she still just says, what are you doing? But she says it in a sober voice. 
Very interesting. Yeah, right? <laughs> it really is. I know. And the scene with the Dean is really, I mean, the whole movie is very tense. I've just, even though on the second watch, I was like surprised at how tense I felt the whole time, even though I knew what was going to happen. And you do keep hoping, like, I mean, you kind of get into Cassie's mindset of you keep hoping people will not be total shitbags. Right. Maybe this time they'll be cool and she'll remember Nina and, oh my God, her lines where she's like, if we, if we investigated every one of these cases, I'd be so busy. You know, we get accusations like this all the time, one or two a week. I'm sorry I don't remember your friend Nina, but I can assure you at that time that I looked into it thoroughly. Regrettable. Yes, I mean, because what would you have me do? Ruin a young man's life every time we get an accusation like this? Yes! (laughs) Yes, you are! (laughs) So many moments in this movie where I just see that's something that happens. Like the McLovin character. I know. I don't agree with them, but I can see people being like, it's just too much. It's just the greatest hits of toxic masculinity. But I mean, it is though. And that means that it happens all the time. The thing that for me was like a very recognizable incident, and this happens with a few people, but for sure with Adam Brody, when he asks her, do you want to stop into my place for one more drink? And then doesn't wait for her to answer. My apartment is a few blocks from here. Would you want to have a drink before him the hang? I'm just literally right here. You want to have like one beer? Yeah. Can you take us to 242 Rally Drive instead, please? It's a couple blocks. Just put the address in the app. That's a very familiar thing to me. I just feel like it's things that are so normalized that you have to take a step back and realize like that's actually like a crazy thing to do. In any other context, like if I put my hands on you and you removed it, it would be really crazy for me to keep doing that, you know? Like, yes, yeah. And But it's so normal, that mentality that a guy should use coercion. Yes, oh my God. You just end up in people's places. You just find yourself there when you're a young <laughs> yeah. lady. You're like, oh fuck, how did I get to this guy's apartment? The series of events of them being like let's just do this without really even asking you and then you end up there obviously she was in control of the situation but you can see how to be a nice girl you're not gonna make a fuss oh he thought i said yes i'm not gonna say anything i guess i will just go with it right or if she really was that drunk never says yes to anybody no she never does yeah mclovin when she's like i need to go home feel good there's this mentality that someone's asking for it or even leading someone on and it's like no really (laughs) right and she's Mm -hmm. already so intoxicated and he's like let's get you another drink kumquat liqueur here we go (laughs) milady Like, the the rideshare driver is worried she's going to hurl in his car. Yeah. (laughs) Which, okay, so hot props. Shut up. Hot props is on. Oh, shit, yeah. Um, That's the only thing he's worried about. Good looking out. (laughs) So I don't know if this is a hot prop or not, but it should be a hot prop because that should not be something that an Uber driver would allow. They're already going to a place. Like, an Uber driver should be like, I can see what's happening, and I'm not going to allow this guy to switch addresses. Or at least ask her, is that where you want to go? Right, yeah. He should have done that, yeah. Yeah, it's believable to me that that would happen that way. It is, I know. I guess a lot of my hot props are like that. (laughs) There's so many things in there that are just like, this is how pervasive 
rape culture is. Like, here's another example where somebody could have stepped in. So much of this movie is about how we blame the woman for getting assaulted. We don't blame people for assaulting and we don't blame people for not looking out for that. That's true. I mean, I, I assume that that's there intentionally. Yeah. You know, I kind of assume that everything is intentional. We don't have a big body of work from Emerald Fennel, but I feel like she's one of those careful filmmakers where, like, literally everything in the scene, every shot, every line of dialogue is meaningful. It's all so intentional. There's nothing haphazard at all like even how she parks far away from everything yes so that's like yeah that's one of the hot probs but who the fuck knows far away from the front door of her house of her own house and then it's especially noticeable when madison pulls right up to the front door like oh you could have been doing that this whole time even when you had groceries okay what does this book consider the lobster (laughs) david foster wells consider the lobster is one of the fucking grades man cracked my head open like a uh yeah, that's douchebag shorthand. Any like, that yeah, yeah, he's being different by liking consider the lobster. Right, right. And Emerald Fennel, she was in the movie briefly doing the Doing her American accent. Yeah, it's fun. She's British. Okay, more hot props. The drip coffee pot isn't big enough. I'm super nitpicking, obviously, because this movie is fucking phenomenal. When Ryan comes in and orders the drip coffee, she just has a little diner pot. A coffee shop wouldn't have a big air pot behind them. Unless, like, nobody ever orders drip coffee in this place. Right. But that's just a little tiny, tiny thing. Right. Well, also, that, that the kind of thing someone comes in to order and they just ignore her. That's funny in a movie, but shitty customer service is just shitty. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And if your boss is your friend, you should work hard in their coffee shop. Right. (laughs) Actually try to make sales, because I'm sure Gail is Cox's character. I'm sure Gail, like, has some sort of sales quota because Gail says something about the head office or, like, there's a manager position at the head office or something like that. So I think this Make Me Coffee place is supposed to be a chain of some kind. Mm -hmm. I don't know how big of a chain, if it's, like, a Tully's or, like, a Vitrola. Gail doesn't own that coffee shop. Gail's middle management. Yeah. So Gail could get in trouble for Cassie fucking up. So don't do that to your friend. She puts a lot of faith in the fact that the cops will show up. That they will show up exactly... Oh yeah, and how does she time it so fucking perfectly? Is that even a thing, like, the scheduled message thing? Is that a thing you can do and that it would show on someone's text that it's a scheduled message? It definitely could be a thing, I just, like, don't... Yeah, I don't know. I've never heard of that. It's, like, timed so perfectly that it's, You can schedule messages. Um, would it say that? I don't know. And the cops will show up at the wedding to arrest him. Really good timing. Another hot prop for me was Allison Brie saving all of her past phones yeah. for photos. She said for photos video. or whatever. Did that phone even take photos? Yeah, I, know, right? <laughs> I guess it had a video capability. Who saves their 
Motorola Razor or whatever, <laughs> whatever they had. There must be a way to upload your photos. I save my phone so I can show people pictures on this little phone. Yeah, it would have made maybe a little more sense if she'd been like, I found this old file or something. They're best friends since childhood and then they went to the same med school together. I believe it. it. I don't know. They definitely seemed very intertwined. Yeah, and then I was thinking like, is it important that they were so close since childhood? I mean, it doesn't, I think it doesn't explains... seem like it would matter. Yeah, but like why she'd be so obsessed. It's like right. she she's really basically family. Yeah. Right. Someone you, that she knew her whole life. Probably knew her better than anybody. Not only is it someone that you really love and care about and they're intertwined in your life, but like that they were always there. To have her be a constant. She's always got pictures everywhere. There's that scene where yeah. she's just kind of like looking at her screen saver and it's just a slideshow of pictures of her and Nina yeah. from childhood. It's like losing a member of the family, yeah. someone who was always there, basically an appendage. I can see how she would not be able to get over oh, it. Yeah. Whereas to everyone else, they're like, oh, whatever it was in the past, I barely knew her, got drunk with her a couple times. Yeah, that is yeah. really sad. Connie Britton, the dean, she not totally Monroe. remembers Al Monroe, and she yeah. has yeah. no recollection of the victim in that story. Nina Fisher, you don't remember her? Maybe you remember Alexander Monroe? Oh, yes, Alexander Monroe. He actually just came back and gave a talk here. Oh, he's a, he's a really nice guy. Really smart. Any friend of his? No. Because they get so many. Yeah. <laughs> How can we I keep them straight? Yeah. Two a week. <laughs> I have to give the young man the benefit of the doubt. That gets thrown out a lot as a young man or I was a kid or... Yeah, well, so the whole many, title, Promising so Young Woman, is that's what they would say about Brock Turner, who's a promising young man. Like, we can't oh, we can't ruin yes. his life because of his promising future. Like, he hasn't even done shit. Right. We don't want it. Big deal. Yeah. <laughs> but he might do something great, so we can't ruin his life over this one rape. Oh, my God, yes. God. I didn't, that didn't occur to me until you said that about the title. That's really powerful. <laughs> and then, like, the only people who seem to care that Cassie is not doing anything with her life are her parents. I mean, a right, little bit. Like, Gail's, like, trying to get her to do something more or whatever. But there's not a ton of people who are like, oh, she could have been so much if she hadn't dropped out of med school. They just, like, forgot right. about her. And same with Nina. Yeah. And Nina was going to be the valedictorian, apparently. <laughs> so that would have been a big deal. We were really obsessed this time with finding out where... It took place. There's a lot of reasons I was curious about where the story took place, but the one time they mention it is, or it's not mentioned, but the reference is she sends the phone to Alfred Molina and you see his address on an envelope and it's this like small town in Ohio. Oh, is where they are. So it's like the idea that Al Monroe is like a big shot anesthesiologist in Ohio. Like we wouldn't want to ruin his big successful career. Also, I fucking love that he's an anesthesiologist out of all the things. Every anesthesiologist I've ever had has been like a big bro. I don't know why bros are so attracted to that job. They literally said to my husband when he was getting surgery, we're going to put you on the happy train to sleepy town. (laughs) And he was like, wait, no. (laughs) You're doing surgery on me. I don't want a happy train anywhere. I just want to have surgery done in a proper... Yeah. So it's just this small medical school in right. a tiny town in Ohio. I was assuming it was L.A. It was I shot in L.A. It, yeah, and then, well, like, the whole makeup artist, do they make music videos with popular boy bands oh, in Ohio? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, 
Like, that's how dumb that girl was. Please, I'm supposed to shoot in this music video. Music and video? Yeah, I'm a makeup artist, and that's my first time working with these guys. And if I'm late, I may as well. Oh my god! Oh my god! Are you working for Wet Dreams? You didn't see that. I know where the castle diner is. You know, like that is believable. That would happen, yeah, but in I... Ohio, not not believable at all. Connie Britton, you better call the diner or she'll still be there. She's kind of an idiot. I know how she hands Cassie her phone, like, without her even asking for it. If you tell anyone or you post about this, I will never work it. I swear I won't post anything. I promise. Take my phone. Seriously, take it. You know what? This, this is fake. Sure sounds like it, huh? That's a detail that Cassie didn't even plan on. And she's right. like, oh, this is going to be even better now. <laughs> oh my God, it's amazing. She's amazing. <laughs> and so many unexpected things, like when she shows up at Ryan's hospital. I'm just here for my herpes medication. Or, she's you know, fucking like, hilarious. She's hilarious. That is a really big tragedy. She's obviously so funny and so smart. And these fucking shitbags ruined her life. I mean, it is a tragedy, this story. Yes. Uh, what else? Hot props. We talked about not parking close to the house, but then another thing I noticed was that in the scene where Ryan comes over for dinner, there's an establishing shot of the house, and there are no cars in front of the house at all. Did anyone drive there? <laughs> What's with the cars? Yeah. Everyone's just really paranoid in this town. They don't want, yeah, they don't want to be yeah. seen walking into anything. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. If I have a hot problem, it's, and this is often my hot problem things, if people just had a conversation. Because it seems like she and Ryan never talked about this incident at all, which I think is kind of strange. It makes me question, like, how serious their relationship was. Like, what did that even mean to her? She didn't talk to him about mm -hmm. that. Especially because practically the first thing he says to her when they meet up is, why did you leave Mexico? Yeah, that's true. And they get back together after he sees her, you know, pretending to be drunk with some guy. It's a little bit not believable that that didn't lead to a conversation about why she did the, why she left med school. You yeah, know? that's a very good point. Right, like, I, yeah. I, thank you. <laughs> like, thanks, it is a good point. Like, yeah, what is their connection if she isn't talking to him about such a yeah. benchmarker of her life? I guess the devil's advocate <laughs> argument is that she's trying to put it behind her, and when she goes back to him, she's doing so on the prompting of Nina's mom saying, like, you gotta forget about this. Maybe she's, like, just gonna forget about it and move on, and if he doesn't ask about it, I'm not gonna volunteer the information. He definitely already showed himself as being someone who didn't think about it. He was just like, those guys aren't so bad and all this. She has intimacy issues. She's not gonna volunteer that kind of stuff, and he's not gonna ask apparently <laughs> or not ask probing questions he asks initially and she gives it like a blow off answer and he's like okay cool i mean he did kind of end up being a shitty person so <laughs> i guess that makes sense in that regard oh but God. yeah and watching it the second time at the end of their first date and they go on this walk and it ends at his house and he's like whoa this is this is a weird coincidence what i think no yeah this is my apartment <laughs> What a weird, weird coincidence. And obviously that has an effect on her immediately. Yeah. I mean, we're here. Do you want to go up, have a drink? Or... Sure, why not? Too soon. Sorry. I wasn't... No, let's go upstairs. I don't want to go up if you don't want to. I, I just write things. I'll, I'll drive you home. You know what? You're at your place. I can call a cab. Are you sure? Sure. Okay, I feel like I fucked this up. No, it's not you. 
yeah, there's a lot there because he's also like notices right away, even though she says, yes, I want to come up. And Amy noticed also like that's the only time she says yes. But when she says it, she doesn't mean it. And he knows that right away. He says, oh, I'm sorry, I misread things. There's just a lot there. Guys can notice facial cues and body language that are different than what they're saying. It's not true that they can't differentiate those things. Right. It does make a very clear point (laughs) that men can read a situation and they choose whether to do it or not. Absolutely. The scene with Al Monroe and the morning after she's dead on the bed. (laughs) Just like the thought process with these men. You didn't do it. It wasn't your Mm -hmm. fault. And then like he's sobbing and he's like, (laughs) thank you. You know, and it's it kind of like, seems like it is. And then it kind of seems like it is. You know, but like, I think that men, they have these immediate thought processes that are just like, I don't know. Well, it's, it's like, like the opposite of what a woman would do generally, where a woman would be immediately like, how is this my like fault? Myself, yeah. right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Right. And they're like, this it's couldn't possibly fault, right? be my fault. The first thing that his friend says to him, before he doesn't even know what happened, and he says, it's not your fault. Honey, what are we doing? Jesus fucking... Fuck. she dead? <laughs> Why is the fucking strip dead? I told you. Why did this happen? <laughs> okay. Hey, Al. This is not your fault. I don't know. It kind of seems like it is. No, 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 no. It's not. You just walked in on this yeah. guy with like a dead woman next to him. And he's like, it's not like... With a pillow over her face, right. too. Like, it's pretty clear right. what happened. Right. <laughs> He's crying, he's sobbing, and he'll kill you, but, you know, he'll cry about it. He's yeah, like, that's he didn't want he to. But he's crying about, like, the consequences. Yeah, he's that's not crying true. because he feels bad about it. What about the wedding and my job? I just think she's gonna be so upset with me. Yeah, he's crying about the consequences, but still you kill people anyways? And he so it. didn't have to. Right. And not only that, but he commits to it. Right. Yeah. He fucking commits to it. That's almost what I'm like. I wish he would just like pretend to stop moving. I do like that. I know. That, it's how... very hard to watch. Right. <laughs> Typically in movies, they make it seem like you can strangle or suffocate someone like much faster than it would really happen. But I'm like, always, I'm like, man, just like go limp and pretend to get <laughs> Well, do we have any more hot props? I think that's all mine. Yeah, Not, I mean, nitpicky much. as fuck, but right. really, really well done, Emerald. Also, will you be our friend? Next call. I'm surprised how good this movie is. I thought it was going to be like an interesting failure. This movie ruled. It did! You know, I mean, it like reminded me of... I don't know why anybody who saw Kim Peele would think that Jordan Peele couldn't make a good movie. People might not remember this, but when Get Out was announced, everyone was like, how is this comedian from television going to make a horror movie? That's stupid. It's not going to work. And then he was like, fuck you guys. Yeah. I made Get Out. started underlining meaningful passages in her copy of Moby Dick, if you know what I mean. All of them? Everything yeah, that Carrie Mulligan so says yeah. in the movie from start to finish? Literally every delivery is fucking perfect. Oh my god. And unexpected. Oh She's god. the master at imbuing a line with 500 different meanings. I've long thought Carrie Mulligan was an underrated actress, and I'm so glad she had this showcase for her talents. Because yeah. I feel like she hasn't really been allowed this much reign before. I love when Bill Burnham, he's like, 
asking Cassie out. He's like, dating's horrible, everyone is horrible. Dating's horrible, everyone's horrible. Okay, I went on a date last month with a woman who wanted to euthanize the homeless. You went on a date with my mom? <laughs> She's so quick, it's I know. So She's so quick like and funny. Hilarious. Yeah, and they do have like a really good chemistry. It's they do. It's that they get together. He's pretty charming and funny. Yeah. I know, and it's important that she got him to do that. I'm back because um, I think you gave me a, a fake number the other day. It doesn't sound like me. I know. So I spent a few hours composing a like very witty, very romantic text, and then I sent that text to an oil rig worker called Red. Was he into it? Surprisingly into it. It was like immediately inappropriate, but it's not gonna work out because of the oil rig. So I thought I'd try you again. Part of me is mad because I'm like, why did it have to be someone as fucking charming as Bo Burnham? But at the same time, it did have to be right. because that's how he got her. It had to be someone like that to get her because she was so jaded by every other man. The eye contact he makes when he's drinking her spit coffee. Oh, God. <laughs> just... Woo! There's like actual sparks coming out of everywhere <laughs> when that happens. Yeah, he's fantastic. And his line delivery is also spot on every time. She lives. I'm just kidding. You weren't answering your phone. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's a real I'm dork. Adorable dork. When she comes to his work and he's like, uh, "What are you doing? Want to get dinner or something?" Are you working? Well, no. Um, he has leukemia, and uh, there's really nothing I can do for him. It's it's over. I'm kidding. My shift's <laughs> over. I'll grab my stuff. Okay. <laughs> And she really likes it too. Yeah, she's like, she's yeah, dark. yeah. They have like a similar sense of humor. I love how Laverne Cox is like. Have you ever killed any children? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I wrote down the way he says what is so funny. Have you ever killed any children? Uh, what? <laughs> While operating on them, have you ever killed any children? Uh, no, no. Really, Gail? I'm well. Kids have past while I've been operating. So that's a yes. Yes. Gail, stop asking him if he's killed children. You might be surprised to hear that gentlemen are sometimes the worst. You know, you don't you don't need to I'm a gentleman. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> you might be surprised to hear that gentlemen are sometimes the worst. That's yeah. a really great line. Yeah. <laughs> right. I also I really like Adam Brody saying it's okay, you're safe. Hey, it's okay. You're safe. You're safe. As he's like putting his hand inside her shirt. Yeah. It literally takes over her underpants. What is he saving her from? But that's also like, this is something I've been thinking about recently is when men don't know that they're the bad guy in a story. Mm hmm. It's a thing that happens sometimes. Oh my God. Sometimes. Yeah. I like where she's meeting Madison McPhee or it's Madison Bree. She's like, TBH. She <laughs> super nails that rule. Yeah, and then she's like, they all want a feminist in college because it's cool to have a girlfriend who cares about something. And statistically, feminists are more likely to do anal. It's a literal fact, by the way. Really? What? That was one of mine. I have so many follow-up questions. <laughs> like, do you have kids? And she's like, you'll get there. I know. Uh -huh. I wrote down that exchange too. Oh my god. Uh, 
talk about people not reading someone because the way that Cassie says no is so obviously like a never doing that no and she says you'll get there. I like she's talking to Gail and she's like we're doing to like you know get married and do yoga and have kids it would take me 10 minutes. You're making the assumption that I want any of it. If I wanted a boyfriend and a yoga class and a house and kids and a job my mom could brag about I'd have done it. It would take me 10 minutes I don't want it. Which is another reason why I was like, oh, she enjoys this. This is what she right. wants to be doing. You believe her that right. she could really could do all that shit, but doesn't want it. Uh, I like when Al Monroe says you're crazy and she says, I honestly don't think I am. Yeah, don't worry, I'm sterilized. I really would have been a great doctor. I honestly don't think I am. I really like that. It's a great delivery. Well, I also like your novel sounds terrible, by the way. Yes. <laughs> God, it really does. You know I'm actually writing a novel? Well, kind of, I'm such a fucking perfectionist, you know? It's just taking me forever. I just keep going over it and over it and over it in my head, just picking at it like a scab. It's about, uh, I guess, like, what it's like to be a guy right now, you know? Like, what it's like to be a guy in the world? Just this gritty, low-life, fucked-up love story. And it all takes place in New York over the course of one night. Careful next time you go out, Neil. Your novel sounds terrible, by the way. The guy that's like, she's going home with him in one of her nightclub nights that she pretends to be wasted. They run into Bo Burnham. It causes a whole scene and he's like, oh, I know you. You're that girl that Jerry went home with. You're psycho. You're not even that hot. Oh, shit. You're that psycho that Jerry took home. I don't know what you're talking about. You know what? Not interested, sweetheart. Nah, I'm stay crazy somewhere else. You're not even that hot. You're hardly dropping panties yourself, Paul. When was the last time you scored in daylight? And then he like runs away and he's like, Why does it ruin everything? I love that part because he's literally whining and running away. I know, part of me thought that was a little much. It's a little broad, but I also kind of liked it. What else does a suicide need, huh? Now, if you'll excuse me. I have like a red flag Ryan line that's like cute when you first hear it, but then you think about it and it's weird. Look, if you're not into this, totally get it. I'm not really looking to date anyone at the moment. Right. Yeah. Me neither. Would you be interested in a friendship and I'm secretly pining for you the whole time? There's a lot there. There's a yeah. lot there. It sounds cute, and then you're like, wait. It's like friend zone adjacent kind of. Yeah. yeah. Very proud of my husband for finding that whole second interaction where he comes back after she gives him the fake number. Chris was like, I didn't like him right then. She'd already that said no, and he sucks. wasn't taking no for an answer. Good job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> When she comes back in to confront Ryan with the video and kind of hints at what she's going to do, she's going to go to the bachelor party and he's like, you should think about this. Oh, and the yeah. way she says, Please. I cannot begin to tell you how much I've thought about it. Oh, God. It's yeah. like a knife in my heart. <laughs> I, I loved it when he's like, you've got to forgive me. And she's just like, no. No, I, <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah. No question. I guess I don't. But she would have maybe if he'd responded right. in a different way because I think it's so fucking important that you see her forgive the lawyer. Right. Yeah. That he says this haunts me every day and I'll never forgive myself and I forgive you. And he wasn't even there. Like, I mean, he did a whole bunch of shit. The fact that, like, Ryan was there and didn't stop in and was right. laughing. That's yeah. honestly too. Like, like that's the, also the lawyer up. is the one 
who could most make a case for forgiving himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's his job. You're an attorney, you're hired to defend somebody, and you defend them. In a certain way, you could say he's the least culpable person. He was just an interested party doing his job. And, like, everybody else was literally there. None of them are sorry, and they don't even remember half the time. Right. It's interesting, because Madison, when she's in that weird front room, what is up with their house? Oh, their house is the so fascinating. Room, like yeah. The Jeremy, yeah. <laughs> portrait. It's got, like, three chandelier lamps and two yes. couches and that obviously lamps. no one ever sits on. Her parents just seem so out of touch. There's a lot going on in their house. Her at all. A lot going on in that yeah. house. But anyway, Madison's like... So much stuff happened back then. Like, all the time. You know what it was like. It was just one blackout after the next. I, I hoped I'd imagined it. As if it's an excuse. Everyone is constantly trying to excuse themselves. And she's even trying to even then. Even though earlier she was like, you could forgive me for not believing her because she was a slut. Like that whole conversation. Do you ever think about it? Why would I? Right. Why would you? So if a friend came to you now and told you that they thought something bad had happened to them the night before. Cassie. Something bad. It was years ago. What would you say? It... Would you roll your eyes behind her back and dismiss the whole thing as drama? I don't know why you're mad at me. Okay, I, I'm not the only one who didn't believe it. If you have a reputation for sleeping around, then maybe people aren't going to believe you when you say something's happened. Coming from another woman, it's so hard to hear. <sighs> well. You blow it tonight, girl, and it's keggers with kids all next year. Logan, you watched Promising Young Woman with us. We took a chance letting you watch it because we didn't know. <laughs> That's know, true. Like, oh, parents Guide or um, anything, you know. Yeah. We didn't know how dark yeah. it was going to get or anything. I definitely, I really liked it. I don't think I was taken for it. We just didn't know what to expect. This is Emma yeah. Fennell's first movie, but I feel like she took care of us. Yeah. <laughs> what was your favorite thing about the movie? I liked the vibe. I liked, like, the revenge aspect. I liked... How it changed, like the vibes, they changed overall, like it started, this is this thing she does, and then it was like, now she has a mission, then it was like, she's in love, and it's like, mission back on. How did you feel about Ryan? Was he an actual nice guy, or was he... Bo Burnham's character. Bo I only know him as Bo Burnham, I don't remember his name. But yeah, that was interesting, because she seemed so much happier when she was with him, but then it's like, he was actually there for this, and like to her it was like, it seemed like no question, like he's immediately dead to me. Do you feel like she was being harsh in judgment of him? Maybe, because in the end, she did end up releasing it, but also like, not really. <laughs> she does seem, in general, like she's on the harsher side of what should be done in this situation, the <laughs> spectrum of that, so maybe, but I don't think it's beyond reason. Do you think there was a chance that she would have forgiven him if he had had a different attitude? Like, do you remember um, when she maybe. went to see the lawyer and the lawyer said that he would never forgive yeah. himself for what he did and she did forgive yeah. him? Do you think there was a chance she could have forgiven Ryan? Maybe, but also maybe not because he had been, like, just going about everything knowing that and it hadn't affected him at all. Right. So it might have been hard for him to convince her that he actually felt bad about it. That's a good mm -hmm. point. Like with the lawyer, she didn't have to remind him that this thing yeah. happened. Yes. He was like, I live with this every day. And he was like, who? Nina? <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah, and he was actually there. I can see why that would be an extra big yeah. kick in the pants. 
this is the most traumatic thing adjacent that's ever happened to her. And he didn't remember being there. And he certainly didn't try to stop it when he was there. Right. And even how he's still kind of friends with Al. Oh, right. Yeah. And even that makes me yeah. think that when he first talks about him, he's like, oh, you know, Al, he always lands on his feet. Oh, he just oh, lives yeah. a charmed life, that Al. Like, that's kind mm-hmm. of a gross thing when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. That's his attitude about that guy. Are you friends with anyone from Forest still, or? No. I can't shake them off. <laughs> you still hang out with those guys? They're not that bad. They aren't, really. Oh my god, Al Monroe is marrying this bikini model. He got this hideous tattoo of her name to propose. Amazingly, she said yes. <laughs> Classic Al, you know, landing on his feet. Al Monroe? You, well, you must remember Al. You see him a lot? Uh, we're not close, but he's in the group. We actually see each other at work because he's an anesthesiologist. The event itself just didn't have any sort of impact on him at all. Yeah. Right. Right. At least Madison remembered, even if she was trying to pretend like it wasn't a big deal. Even without like a major movement happening in between, aren't there things that you remember from when you were younger that as an adult you're like, oh, that was really messed up, you know? Yes. Yes. Well, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're probably very fresh for you. It's hard for me because I like Bo Burnham so much. But the character does suck so much. Well, I mean, I think it's good. I think they needed someone to be really charming. They have to have someone as likable as him or else it's not really believable that she would even soften. There is a point we made, would it be better if she had just lived in ignorance of that? Because that scene where she looked at the video was so painful. Where it's like, would it be better if that had never happened? Because ignorance is bliss. Would that be better? Obviously it wouldn't be like the truth, but she would be happier. She'd be alive. Be happier and alive, yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, what's to say that it wouldn't have come out eventually anyway? Because even if she was momentarily better, she hadn't dealt with the trauma, really. That that is a very good point. It would have been... It might have been worse because she's like, oh, I've been with this guy for 10 years and now I'm realizing this. You would think if they stayed together at some point, she would share with him how much that event affected yeah. her. Yeah, and if she didn't, Although it doesn't seem like he even really remembered there. being there. Yeah, I know that's that scene is interesting because it's hard to know what's going on in his head. Yeah. He does seem at if first he like really... he's like, "What is this? Why are you showing this to me?" And then he's, he's like, like, "Oh, it's Al, ha ha!" And then he realizes what's going on and is like, "Why would you show this to me?" Right. <laughs> if he really didn't remember it then I feel like there's a small chance that they could have like ended up together and been happy because she could have been like, this affected me so much. And he's like, wow, I saw things like that when I was younger, but I never really interpreted how messed up it was. There might have been a chance for him then, for yeah. her to like actually like show him how messed up that was. But yeah, yeah. maybe if he'd been receptive to learning a lesson about it rather than just immediately paranoid mm-hmm. that... Right, how this is going to happen. Yeah, that's like the theme in this movie is that's immediately where these yeah. guys go and where everyone, literally everyone in society goes is we have to protect these guys. Yeah. Like, this could affect a man's future. Yeah, it's hard to imagine her wanting to even go on a date with Ryan. So, like, she was very charming, though, like, when they uh, interacted. I'm actually really glad to hear you say that, Logan, because I've noticed with other movies you've watched with us, guys that when we were your age were like, oh, he's so cute, you're immediately like, that dude's trouble, I don't like it. 
And again, it might just be because I know Bo Burnham. I mean, so that it's just genius casting then. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. not many yeah. dudes could have pulled that off. Christian Slater not would not have come that way. That would be a completely different <laughs> like, what are you doing, guys? <laughs> I feel like she kind of expected to die. Oh, I don't right. think that... I think that... I mean, I think it's an option she considered. And she obviously prepared for it. But I think she was kind of okay with it. Like, I feel like she might have been a little bit suicidal. Mm. I feel like she's like, I don't really have that much to live for. Because she was so happy with Ryan. Um, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't remember his name. <laughs> she was so happy with Ryan. And then it was like, no, actually, he's bad. So I feel like she's like, that's it. I'm going out with the bang. Or maybe just, you know, pulling this off. I don't know. I really... Especially after watching it the second time, I'm like, I know she knows that that could happen, obviously, but when she is about to carve Nina's name on him, like, I feel like she's so psyched. That's I, true. She's I having, like, the I, most fun we've seen her have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think it was a suicide mission. I feel yeah. like she knows you might not get out of this alive, but she wants to. I think, she fights really hard. To, well, like, if you're being suffocated, obviously your survival instincts kick in, regardless of if you're willing to live. I think she was like, this is like the the only thing I want to do. Like, if, imagine she had successfully carried that off. She would have had no direction afterwards. And I think that's partially why I think it's really cool that, I think that's a cool way the movie did it. Like, that's well written that she died. She would have had absolutely no direction afterwards. She wouldn't really know what to do. I feel like she could have come up with stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, yeah, again, she was so excited. She was so driven towards just that one thing. That I don't think she cared if she lived or died afterwards. Obviously, she didn't want to carry it out, but I think after that, she didn't really care. Because she was so prepared for if she died. Obviously, it wasn't like, I can't die. This isn't a thing I will accept happening. She had accepted that that was a chance, and I think she was a little bit okay with that. Yeah. Which is kind of amazing, because I don't think that I would think I would die in that situation. Right, I yeah, that's true. I would think, like, yes, maybe I could get raped or beaten up or something. Like, right. something terrible would happen to me, but... Yeah, I don't, I don't think I would have been like, I'll probably die. <laughs> yeah. They'll probably yeah. murder me, these right. people. I really <laughs> don't know what she thought was going to kill her in that situation. I read an yeah. article, like, Emerald Fennel said the ending was, like, the only way, like, she could see, you know, when she introduced... Um, kind of dangerous situation. There's some element of violence that's going to happen. Even though she engineered the scenario, a lot of times when that happens, it doesn't always go well for the woman. And I thought it sucked that she had to die. How else could it have yeah. ended? Obviously there is still toxic masculinity in the world, but this she has such a connection to, and that's all she's really done with her life. They definitely show that a lot. Like She's still living with her parents. All she's really done with her life is specifically just like taking down this toxic masculinity and this specific thing is what's driven her. I think after she taught them a lesson, she wouldn't really have like anywhere else to go. I don't know. I mean, I feel like it, you could say this is like what has stunted her for the last few years and then taking care of it is what sets her free. There is the revenge element, but then also thinking about how she's telling Nina's mom, like, I should have gone with her. Like, it's like she could never, she, for herself. she could never forgive herself. Mm -hmm. I'm super bummed that she didn't actually get to finish carving. I, I know! know. Right? Like, if she at least get, like, one so letter in better. Right? Even an M would be yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah. 
It could still end the same way and have that happen, but... Right. It's like she was so determined mm-hmm. and strong and foolproof plan, and then all of a sudden the handcuff comes off, and yeah. it's his mm-hmm. strength against her strength, and then it's over so quickly yeah. at that moment. Yeah, it sucks too, because she could have also roofied him, but yeah, she didn't she because wanted... she wanted him to hear her speech. Yeah. Right. She should have given him some sort of sedation, though, like where he could at least... Or gotten better handcuffs. Be, so I know, not handcuffs from the like the I sex know. shop. <laughs> get, get some, go to the, I don't know where you would buy. <laughs> where would you get actual Well, like use rope or something, something that won't break easily. I don't know. I think we just did not expect that to happen. Yeah. yeah. So this is what's called a lunchtime poll. I'm excited to do like a fun lunchtime poll. Maybe, maybe fun. I, oh, yeah, actually, I, know. I, know I feel like all our fun lunchtime polls always, I, I always start out going, this is so fun. And then we're like, that's just who we are. We're, we're, we're dark people. Such is life. C'est la vie. comme ça. Okay, so Ross, uh, okay, so the lunchtime poll today is inspired by that beautiful little unicorn of a scene where they're in this pharmacy and that Paris Hilton song comes on and they both know it, the lyrics to it and dance around and it's really cute. First trip to the pharmacy together. Yeah. Big step. I'm sorry. Right before Madison comes to blow everything all up, when she gets out of the car with the groceries, she's humming the song. Like, it becomes their song, basically. This stupid Paris Hilton song. That took four men to write, by the way. I just think that's such a funny (laughs) tidbit of information. Well, songs have, like, a lot of writing credits these days, I feel like. So, anyways, what is the dumbest song that ended up meaning something to you? I'm gonna go for it. I, I, okay. I, mean, I don't want to say this is a dumb song. This is a great song, but it's like a goofy song that means mm-hmm. so much to me. Is I saw a white lady standing on the street just sobbing and Aww. I think about it once a week. <laughs> I saw. God, that song is so good. Like, it's not it dumb, is. but it's... Yeah. But it is silly, yeah. It's, it's silly. Yeah, it's a goofy thing from this John Mulaney Netflix special, but 2020 overall was, like, a good year for me, but there was a very, very bad time from March to April. I feel like I was, like, constantly listening to that soundtrack or watching that <laughs> special, like, almost every day. I think of them as, like, the songs that saved my life. I mean, I was just in a very, very bad place, but then I would play those songs when I was, like, making dinner, and I'd be, like, dancing around the kitchen. It was, like, the only, like, lightness, kind of. And it's so good. That's, like, I think, like, the greatest, purest four minutes of television ever. I approach. She's demure. She thinks who is this for food? 
then there's another reason it really gets me is that back in like 2008, 2009, when me and my friends and family were like first getting on Facebook and my sister-in-law especially, she would post things that were like not related to anything and then they'd end up being this like status comment marathon, you know, where there'd be like a hundred <laughs> comments and we'd just all be talking, you know. Like, I forgot to mention a little detail. This was when my brother was dying. So when I say my sister-in-law, I mean she was married to my brother. So one time she just, she put up a status not related to anything. And it ended up being this endless up where we were talking about what we were going through and memories of him. He was still alive, but you know, just of mm-hmm. like everything that was going on. And so like, I kept getting notifications of like so-and-so commented on status. It kept being on my newsfeed over mm-hmm. and over again. But anyway, what the status was that she put was we tell ourselves stories in order to live. She's a big John Didion person, you know. So that song really gets to me because that quote ended up being special to me because it, that's just what it makes me think of, you know, that the kid quote it's very on the nose because I've also definitely been the lady standing on the street sobbing. I'm a big public crier. <laughs> no. yep. oh, see, I feel like I, I was like, oh, I'm excited to do this fun lunchtime ball. <laughs> I made it sad. Okay, I can tell my silly sad one. <laughs> oh, no. Did we all go sad? <laughs> Well, of course. I mean, I guess when you think about the nature of it, that's what happens. Um, there's this Chicago song. <laughs> Ooh, Peter Cetera. Uh, no. The no, no, the band. But it's not Peter Cetera. It's the other guy. It's called Look Away. It's like the when you called me up this morning, told me about the new love you found. I'll set him happy, happy for you. you. Okay, I yeah, that one. I'm really happy for you. Found someone else. I guess I won't be coming round. I guess it's over, baby. It's really over, baby. Before I met my husband and realized I could love again, (laughs) I had like an ex who was like the ex I was never going to get over from college. So what happened was, I don't know, he broke up with me. It was a weird, we were like, (laughs) we'd been just arguing a lot. Like we had a lot of arguments in the car where we'd like drive to a place and then we'd be late going into the place because we'd be fighting in the car. And I don't even remember why. Like everything I remember about this relationship was good stuff. But for some reason we were always arguing about some shit. But anyway, he felt like he wasn't measuring up to be my boyfriend. So he was going to go off to Europe and become a better man and then come back and be the man enough for me or whatever. Like, he lived with his mom. His mom still did his laundry. He didn't really have a job at the time. And I didn't give a shit, but he felt insecure. And he was saying, like, the reason we were always fighting, he thought, was because he was having these feelings of inadequacy. Anyway, so he was like, I'm going to go teach English in Prague and learn to be self-sufficient and come back. And hopefully we can get back together again at that point. And I was like, yep, that's definitely what's going to happen. And I definitely, like, was in other relationships and still thought about him a little bit. But what happened was he fell in love with the lady in Prague (laughs) and married her. But we were, like, still going to be friends. We would talk, and I was trying to be happy for him. And there was all kinds of music that, like, he was into that was kind of cheesy butt rock and one of the bands he really loved was Chicago. It was a little while after he told me that he had met this girl and was gonna marry her and I heard that song on the radio listened to the words and then I just started crying. And from what you said I know you've gotten over me It'll never be the way
look, the song is about me. <laughs> and now, like, I still can't hear that song without thinking about him. Like, I'm fine now, obviously. Everything's fine. Everything's yeah. worked out great. I'm just always going to think about him and how I felt at that time whenever I hear that song going forward. And it's a really silly song. Well, for mine, I, I have so many. I love, like, bubblegum. I go through, like, obsessions with different songs. Laura and I had, a, like, an obsession with Stars Are Blind, actually. Oh, really? And Laura probably remembers my Soulja Boy kiss me through the phone phase. <laughs> uh, but I love dancing and going out dancing. Mm-hmm. I just have, like, such good memories of... The Kylie Minogue song, Can't Get You Out of My Head. <laughs> That's a banger. So totally. And it's just like, it's like joy remembering that time in my life. And then as a child, I went roller skating every weekend. And... Do you guys remember Stevie B? He's from Miami. He's like an 80s dance musician. Oh, there's a song, Spring Love. It's such a great roller skating song. He just fell in love with this girl. Would you want to answer the lunchtime poll question? Okay. You remember they have a special moment to a very goofy song. What's a goofy song that has meant something special to you in your life? Maybe that one song, that like kind of annoying like timber song. I just feel like I've heard that song so many times throughout my life. And I have moments where, like I have, remember from like multiple New Year's. So like in my head, that's where I associate that. Maybe that song. I don't know. The Kesha song, Timber? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Okay, you would know it if you heard it. Do you, do you know the song we're talking about? It's a weird song. It's a weird song. But it's very catchy. There was one New Year's where I think the twins were playing it over and over again. Yeah. How <laughs> <laughs> very. I just wanted to talk about the music. It, it was yeah. so good. So the soundtrack, good. soundtrack is rules. so good. It and, really does. And it fits like perfectly. Each part in the movie where a particular song shows, it's so perfect. I loved Just Call Me Angel in the end. Like that song mm-hmm. was awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like a radical song when it came out because it's just like this woman who, you know, was just like been with her lover and is just gonna kiss him and walk away into the morning or whatever. There'll be no strings to bind your hands Not if my love can find your heart There's no need to take a stand For it was I who chose to start Now 
Yeah, it's like a one night stand song. She's not expecting anything or wanting anything. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of a radical song for the '60s. Mm -hmm. Like Connie Francis was offered that song and she didn't want to do it. Oh really? Well, she thought it was too risque. Oh my god. I don't. I love Juice Newton and. That's not the original one. No, it's like Merrily Rush. It's when she's walking home and it's like a walk of shame kind of. She's holding her heels and she's got like her suits all rumpled and she's eating the hot dog. (laughs) And they play that It's Raining Men cover. I just love that's such a good characterization scene. And then how she like stares down the construction workers. Yeah, that was awesome. And all she does is look at them. And they're like catcalling her and then all she does is like stare at them and not smile. And she's just eating her hot dog and looking at them and then they go from, hey baby, you should smile, to like, you fucking bitch. amazing and that song's playing yeah Yeah. oh my god and then the instrumental of toxic when she's walking up to the frat party or not frat party whatever frat bachelor party frat fratchelor party yeah it's really good the color coding in the notebook we didn't even fucking talk about Let's talk about it a little bit. She has three colors. She has a four-color pen, which is awesome. She uses three colors, though. Red, blue, and black in her notebook. And she does, like, a hashtag. Hashtag. A hash. Like a tally? A tally. Thank you. (laughs) In the color, and then she goes back and writes their name in that same color. Jerry is black. He's the guy who was definitely going to do stuff while she was passed out. Is that Adam Brody? Adam Brody. And then the next guy... His name was, oh shit, I wrote it down. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> Mick Lovin for life was blue. And he woke her up. She was like, it's very sweet of you to wake me up before you stuck your fingers inside me. <laughs> Another good line. But we never see a red encounter. Oh, fuck. But I have a theory that that's like when she was just straight up raped. Like red is like didn't stop even when yeah. she was... And there's plenty of red red names in that notebook. So that's nuts. That's why Emerald Fennel has to talk to us to confirm or deny. Confirm or deny. Did we crack the color code? It's really interesting, too, when I was reading a bunch of reviews about it. There weren't that many theories about what the color coding meant. A lot of people just kind of brushed over, like, it means something, blah, blah, blah. But there were a couple people who made theories, and all the ones who assumed that it meant she was killing them, maybe, 
we're dudes. Yeah. She's obviously not killing yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and one guy totally was like, well, she had blood dripping on her leg in the beginning. Like, no, that was, she was eating a hot dog. Oh, Very so pointedly eating a hot you, dog. Why would you assume that was like the guy's blood? You know, like that's yeah. so interesting. You wouldn't assume it was her own blood, you know? Yeah. Like, I definitely would have thought that. When I, you know, when yeah. I, the first time we watched it and when I thought it was blood before the show, I'm like, I thought it was, thought it was blood. her blood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> all the guys in it are like the cute guys from all these shows. They are the nice guy mm-hmm. actor mm-hmm. types. And yeah. I thought that I was interesting. That. Yeah. yeah. Laverne Cox was right in it too. She was really good. And there was another meaningful passage that. Well, it's not exactly a passage. It's just when uh, she pretends that she has to take the phone call in the back. Yeah. And then Cassie oh, yeah. says, well, I guess this is also pretty great. Cassie says she has to take a few imaginary phone calls a day. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then the way Gail laughs is just really delightful. It's like a really funny sort of manic. <laughs> I most definitely heard a phone ring in the back. <laughs> she has to take a few imaginary calls a day. <laughs> I love that laugh. It's interesting. They never really go into Nina's death or her storyline that much. They never. Yeah. Really they never say what it. happened, really. I yeah, mean, they can... really don't. But it's like so easy to yeah. guess. Right. <laughs> it's interesting that they left that to be figured out, though. I think it's I just like it. in the sense of everyone was talking the way they would normally be talking, which is they would be dancing around that. Right. Like, no I mean, one would ever come out and say that. I think it's clear she killed herself, but yeah, yeah people do kind of dance around that. Yeah, mm-hmm. after she lost her trial. Right. I assume that's what happened. Yeah. yeah. There were places where there could have been exposition, like where she was going to the people to take revenge. That was definitely, there was definitely a place where she could have if they wanted to have her do exposition. Yeah, like the most exposition is her monologue at the end when she's talking about Nina. Mm-hmm. And she does still doesn't even really talk about what happened specifically. She's just talking about what kind of person Nina was and then how it affected Nina. I want you to know what she was like, okay? She's just so difficult to explain because she was just so completely herself. Even when she was four years old, she was fully formed from day one. Same face, same walk, and funny. Like a grown-up is funny, kind of shrewd. I was just in awe of her. I couldn't believe she wanted to be my friend. She didn't give a fuck what anyone else thought apart from me, because she was just... Nina. But that's absolutely the most like exposition about that we get. That one girl she went to like lunch with. That's true. They did talk about it, but they danced around it too. Again, Mm -hmm. she had euphemistic ways of referring to it. I feel like that girl Mm -hmm. did not learn the lesson she was supposed to learn. Sure, (laughs) yeah. Clothes. I want to talk about the clothes. Her clothes. I just I loved all the bright colors and her nails being on. Yeah, the she's got like these so pastel cute. Easter yeah. egg nails in different colors, and I mean she just is like a ray of sunshine. Okay, like Briggers noticed something. <laughs> he said he noticed like an ominous tone, an ominous hum in certain scenes, oh. which is a very Lynchian signature. I wonder if we'd had the closed captioning on if it would have even said ominous tone, because whenever you're watching any Lynch, it just oh. says that most of the time. But then also in Twin Peaks The Return, you see the character Diane for the first time. Diane is 
Cooper's secretary that he's always talking to. You never see her in the first two seasons. But you meet her and it's Laura Dern. And she ends up being one of my favorite characters in all of Twin Peaks. Ten minutes tops. Or it's over when I say it's over. Exactly the way it's gonna be, Diane. You'll control the curtain and the microphone. And we're very appreciative. What'd you say your name was again? Tammy. Fuck you, Tammy. And her nails are multicolored nails. Not exactly like that. They're not pastel. They're more like bold colors. But they're five different colors. I'm just wondering, like, how much Lynch influencer is there? That's one of my questions. So I'm just saying, we need to, like, put together a list of questions for Emerald Fennell. Yeah. And interviewer and call us Emerald, please. (laughs) Was that intentional? I must know. Because also... Spoiler alert for Twin Peaks Return, Diana's a victim of sexual assault, too. Oh. <laughs> and blonde. I don't know. I'm always looking for Lynchian connections, but I feel like there's something there. She's pretty strong, yeah. I loved her nails. I loved her makeup. <laughs> Blending those ideas of bubblegum into <laughs> pop music. Yeah, very feminine. Clothing. Yeah, very they're... feminine, but she's also very serious. And yeah, I like it. So like, I can be serious, but still fun and feminine. I think a lot of, like, things that are trying to be feminists, like, tend to do that. She's a feminist and therefore shows no femininity, or look well, yeah. this girl who shows no femininity, this is what you should be. And I think it's really cool that they had her still have that femininity while mixing it with like seriousness i think that was really cool mm-hmm. i don't remember a lot of her outfits i remember liking one of them that she was like wearing at a party and the only outfit i actually like remember was the one at the very end but i don't really remember <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty memorable <laughs> a lot of floral patterns i remember a lot of them she has like a kind of fluffy pink sweater with oh, flowers yeah. on it roses and then She's got that floral maxi sundress thing that she wears oh, to the day yeah. with Ryan. And then she has this like amazing gingham jumpsuit. It's not exactly Ooh, gingham, like but... Sucker, I think? Oh, is that it? Okay. Maybe. Yeah, I, I think know. it is. <laughs> Do you know what Sears Sucker is? It's... Oh, okay. It's probably what I'm thinking of. Right. <laughs> Sears is like a stripe. Usually a white stripe and a colored stripe and then... One is flat and one is puckered. Okay, okay, okay. I do know what you're talking about now. But then the clothes she wears to the nightclubs are different because those are like a costume. They're not her personal expression. And that's really fun to see. And also I think she enjoys that. Yeah. Like I think she enjoys the role play aspect of it. Becoming someone else. Yes. Yeah. I like how like in the first scene like she's dressed like she just came from work when she's yeah. out and then in the scene where ryan runs into her and she's like in a real party girl right with the side phone yeah. yeah and she's kind of wearing a, like a hipster outfit when she's with the, it definitely the, is. The i think yeah. all of the, the, the place she was going to and the people and the person she yeah, yeah she that picks up. her up <laughs> And they're all different kinds of nice yeah, dudes too, true. right? Nice dudes. I really like the toxic hipster character a lot. I also read an interview with Carrie Mulligan and she said that was the most fun of those scenes to shoot. And she said she actually like broke a lot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was apparently doing a lot of ad libs. Which one? Are you talking about McLovin? Yeah. Okay. And then of course the wig in the last scene is... Oh yeah, it's so cool. Oh, it's the coolest fucking wig ever. Yeah. It's really cool. It's very fun. I don't want to wear that whole outfit. I just want to wear that wig. I 
I have that be my real hair always. Right. Is that <laughs> called like mermaid hair or something? So I think or so. I've had mermaid hair before. I've had that hairstyle. The hair dye style. Okay. It's hard but to do that. Awesome. Oh my god. Yeah. All those like little strands oh of my different gosh, colors. Yeah, it took forever. The music fits what we were saying about the outfits. It fits that power while still holding all the femininity, like the fun but seriousness of femininity. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, I think the music and the outfits definitely fit together for like her self-expression. Nobody's expecting her to do all these things that she does. Yeah, non-threatening. She's a nice girl. Actually, it's really shrewd because even I feel like there is a lot of her real her expression to the way she wants to Mm -hmm. the clothes that make her feel comfortable but also she's outwardly portraying a nice girl and she's doing it to ensnare her victims i guess are seemingly nice guys like sinister underbelly the dean's daughter she was not threatening at all like the dean's daughter didn't view her as threatening at all because of all of that that was like another kind of character she was playing even she was like i'm so frazzled I'm so sorry, but my phone has died and I'm so late for work. Do you live around here? Do you know the area? I guess. Why? It's just a lot of role play. <laughs> she should take an improv class <laughs> if she weren't dead. A lot of the criticism I saw from people, there were things that I was like, I can see their point of view in reviews, but I would disagree. So I have a couple of those for a segment that I have titled The Devil's Devil's Advocates. And these are paraphrases from reviews. Someone had a problem with the fact that the movie doesn't say the word rape ever or show the assault. <laughs> Which it didn't have First to. of all, we didn't need to see. Yeah, like I think you were right about like glossing over it because that's No one wants to admit life. that that's even what it was. Yeah. The, like the incident or the what right. unfortunate thing that happened. Which is also very not like placing the responsibility on the guy. Exactly. Because yeah, if you say rape then then it's like definitely means it's one specific person's fault. But the incident is a thing that happened, oh no. Right. right. Yeah, or even what the dean says None of us want to admit when we've made ourselves vulnerable, when we've made a bad choice. And those choices, those mistakes can be so damaging and really regrettable. Yeah. And she's talking about Nina, but She's she's also right. <laughs> like nobody is like, owning up to their bad decisions. She's got Al Monroe handcuffed, and he's like, maybe she regretted it after. Okay. Oh yeah, she regretted it. She can't believe that the the guy is saying that. Yeah. I just love the way that she responded she to that in that moment. They're just pushing it off on. I was a kid, or like I. I Things got out of hand. It's just something that happened. Right. Yeah. No one could have stopped it. I feel like with a lot of the male characters in the movie, there's this moment they're confronted with what they've done and it's like really major with Al in the very end where he's sobbing. He's being confronted with a bad thing that he did. You have to decide how you're going to go forward after that and he chooses to get away with it basically or yeah, try to get away with it. I felt like he was honestly he goes like, to struggling a little bit and his friend is like, she left. She left the party, like, trying to convince right. him. Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, thank you. It was an accident. Yeah, I mean, of course it was a fucking accident. Yeah, of course it was a fucking accident. No one's gonna go to jail because no one's ever gonna find out. If anybody asks, we all saw her leave last night. She stripped, and then she left. She left? She left. 
Okay. All right. It's going to be fine. All right. We're going to take care of this. We're just going to get rid of the body before the others leave. Hey, 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 hey. It's okay. Look at me. This is not your fault, Alex. <laughs> you did nothing wrong. All right. He turned that corner where he decided. They enable him in that. And I think she definitely goes into that. Like, she goes to all the people who contributed to Nina's pain. Obviously, he, he sucks. But then here are all the people who enabled him afterwards and led him to not take responsibility. Yeah, and his friend, like, seemed like, what are you doing? No, you didn't do this. You know, oh, right, like, yeah, it's friend. just like... The, what did you convince no, I know how to hide a dead body. Now here's what we're gonna do. How they all protect each other. Yeah, <laughs> it's really the big difference of like the male friendship and the female friendship. What Cassie did for Nina was totally internalize her trauma. And they also say that they're also like lifelong friends. And he's like, I'm gonna <laughs> externalize this trauma for you. <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, you didn't do anything, you have nothing to feel bad about. Well, Fix this up. Another criticism was that her acts are undoubtedly shocking and make for good entertainment, but they are downright cruel and humanize the villains more than the victim. What? What? Uh, I don't think the villains are humanized. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> How are they humanized? Who are you blaming? Wait, that almost feels like they're calling the people that she took revenge on the victim. They kind of I are, because they're saying, like, they're they don't saying. deserve that. Who doesn't deserve what? Like, and yeah. the people pretending to be drunk. Her right? acts are undoubtedly shocking. Are they shocking? <laughs> Misleading the dean. And I guess maybe that's like the one you could think like something cruel that she does is makes this woman think that her daughter's getting gang raped. Like, okay, fair yeah. her a little bit. Or the daughter think that she was going to meet this man. <laughs> she lets her draw her own conclusions, which is like another thing yeah. too, because she it's like, if you're say. so scared about this. Like, oh, I'm sure she'll be right. fine. Then, was fine, right? Right, or exactly. You have to give men the benefit of the doubt. Look how quickly you don't. I guess you just have to think about it in the right way. I guess it feels different when it's someone you love. So I still don't think that was too yeah. harsh, but that's like the most, yeah. Um, let's see. One review is like, I don't like movies where women have to be traumatized to get justice. You can not like it all you want, but... That's the entire this premise wasn't, of the movie. It wasn't a plot device, trauma. it was right. the plot. Uh, one review said that they didn't think it was murdery enough. <laughs> <laughs> Like, kill people. It did kind of seem like that. That, that, she that would be a different be. movie. Yeah, it would be a very different movie. Yes, exactly. Movie. I feel like that's, that's a thing that's, that's been done, like a mm -hmm. vigilante justice movie. It would make her less sympathetic, know. though. Right. Which and would be difficult. Like Subtle. It would definitely make her a lot less sympathetic. Like, I feel like this which, is a movie yeah. about rape culture. Mm -hmm. It's not just a yeah. movie about rape. Yeah. I would watch a show, though, that was like. That, but she murders them. <laughs> <laughs> like Dexter, Lady Dexter. Another one, this was an article about how Cassie and Veronica Mars are similar, which is true. There are a lot of similarities. So they're saying, how can Cassie and Veronica win against rapists when they lose their identity and love for life in the process? How are they surviving? My argument is that they aren't. <laughs> they aren't. Yeah. This is, you're watching a person actively not survive. Right. 
something showing how they did eventually get the cops to give a shit because <laughs> that's like probably the most unrealistic thing in the whole movie. I think they should have the lawyer contact. The lawyer did. That's oh, what I think. Like, I she like said that. she take the video to the lawyer. I feel like that's how it happened. Like he would know how to make something happen. You know, And he would pursue it to him because of his, his Dickensian uh, hysterical young lady or like that scene a lot when she told Brian I found this clip but it seemed in that scene he was like he was completely panicking what he was panicking about did that happen did he end up losing his job yeah they didn't go into that but that is such a juxtaposition with the lawyer scene mm-hmm. how like the lawyer actively destroyed women's lives and felt yeah. really horrible about it and was very apologetic and I wonder couldn't sleep like just was racked with guilt and Ryan just acted the exact opposite way. In fact, I noticed that he doesn't even ever say he's sorry before he says, you have to forgive me. He says, like, you have to forgive me, you have to forgive me. Right. Are you going to forgive me? But he never says, I'm sorry. Wow. (laughs) You can't, you can't forgive someone who has apologized. Yeah, it's just like, I'm just going to tell you to do something and you're just going to do it. Like, no, that's not how it works. Controlling other people's feelings. And if he's that scared about it, then he knows he needs to apologize or something. But he's not really sorry. He's like, sorry, he's getting it I don't think it even crosses his mind to be sorry for that. He's just scared because now she has this power to, like, ruin everything for him. He's not even like, she thinks I did something bad. It's more, she can do this to me. I have to get her to not do this. Yeah. 
Oh, I've got another fun fact. The scene where the lawyer is laying on her lap, mm-hmm. crying, like, please forgive me. Emerald Fennel wanted that scene to look like the Pieta. Oh, <laughs> it's Jesus on Mary. Wow, that's cool as shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I bet there's a million things like that. I know, I right? bet there's a lot more. Another thing I noticed was that like he's, he's got these two giant house plants that are dead. That's such an amazing little set detail. That is a good, yeah. And that made me want to literally freeze frame the whole movie. Yeah. (laughs) I found the thing. Guys, here's a picture of the Pieta. See if you could just find a way naturally of being in this position by the end of this. And we'll pop the shaft of light on you. I think that the scene with the wire was super important Mm -hmm. to the movie and to her character and to show that she will forgive people. I'm glad the lawyer got that yeah. moment of redemption. I wondered if Ryan would have gotten in trouble legally like after the police showed up because he did lie to the detective. He, he did! did. Yeah. And he said like, oh, I don't know where she could have gone. Oh my oh, god. Obviously, yeah, he, he told did. her where it was. I know, he so did. Like, you know what accomplice to murder. Yeah, I mean, well, he was really calm. Lying to the cop like He was. You know? I know, I feel like we see like a totally different side of the dude. He had such a good fake being a good person. I know. Being a nice guy, but he was so awful. Yeah, I'm a victim of cancel culture. Yes. (gasps) That's exactly what it is. He's like, she's canceling you. She's going to cancel me. That didn't have that vibe to me of like, when she was like threatening him, that that felt very like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his trajectory even in the scene is very much like yeah, watching yeah. someone on Twitter melt like him right. doing in, in real life. Like, mm-hmm. I was a kid. You can't whatever. Right. You have to yeah. forgive me. Yeah. <laughs> you're a failure. <laughs> yes, I think to your failure. I love you to like your fucking failure. Too. Oh but instead I'm going to lie and tell this cop that I think you might have killed yourself. Yeah. Why isn't he at all alarmed? He knew where she was going and now she's a missing person and he's like... Uh, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my job. I know, it's so messed up because of the wedding. Like, that's weird, yeah. like, that he doesn't even ask anyone, like, hey, how was the bachelor party? Anything happened? So, you know, like, you murdered my ex-girlfriend? Right. He's such a fake person, that character. He might have not even cared about her at all. Oh, my Jeez. God. Ugh. This is fun talking about. <laughs> yeah. It's no. Like, yeah. The best movie I've seen in so long. It, yeah. it was a good movie. Really, I hope it wins a lot of awards. <laughs> Greetings and salutations. So this movie takes place in Ohio, but I don't think that's really the point. I think it's supposed to be like any town in USA. We did have one download from Ohio. Oh. <laughs> so Amy was like, I guess they didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> they took a no thank you bite. Yeah, so <laughs> you're probably not listening, Ohio. But the real shout out is going to be the UK. They don't break it down by country in the UK. So I don't know yeah. if it's Wales or Scotland or England, but there are several downloads from the UK at large. So because oh. Carrie Mulligan and Emerald Fennel are British, pip pip cheerio England. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know everyone to your accents. No. <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> I do know a couple of people from when I lived there a long time ago. Oh yeah, my uh, who I'm friends I with on I Facebook. I have a stepsister in somewhere in England. My stepdad's oldest daughter lives there 
Hi, Diane, if it's you. <laughs> I'd love to have more UK listeners. <laughs> it's word, Diane. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you all know Emerald Fennel because it's so small over there. So just okay. tell her to call us, please. <laughs> I can't wait to see what she'll do next. I know. I know. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. On the next episode of Paid in Puke, special guest Faye Heroff joins us to talk about Paul Verhoeven's 1995 unintentional camp comedy, Showgirls, starring Elizabeth Berkeley and Gina Gershon. If you enjoyed this episode of Paid in Puke, please take a minute to rate us highly on your preferred podcast listening apparatus. If you did not enjoy this episode, no further action is necessary. Paid in Puke is hosted by Amy Green, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. Music by Silent Partner. Follow us on Twitter at Paid in Puke Pod, on Instagram at Paid in Puke Seattle, or join us on Facebook at Paid in Puke Podcast. Thanks for listening. Lick it up, baby. Lick it up.